This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Now, obviously, as you've probably seen from the title, this episode is going to be a little bit different. Schlumberger is uh, very far from a startup, probably one of the largest companies in the world uh, in terms of headcount. But we've got a pretty interesting story as to the genesis of their Delphi product, which they kind of dub as this uh, cognitive ENP environment. Uh, and so the original team was comprised of just a few people. And one of those people was Melissa Suman, who we had on the show today. Uh, we had a great conversation with her talking about her career through Schlumberger and all the places that she got to visit and all the different jobs she kind of uh, got to play in uh, over the last couple of decades. And now she's pretty much running the show on the software side. My words, not hers. So Schlumberger. Watch out. Um, hope you enjoy it. Uh, before we get into the episode, as you guys have probably heard in the last few episodes, April 24th, 2021, we're hosting the inaugural Wildcatters Block Party. It's going to be a great time. Uh, we have Lindsay L., the big name country music singer coming to play. Thanks to Chuck. He kind of lined that up. Uh, it's going to actually be at Chuck's house in historic Richmond, uh, blocking off a whole street. Uh, we're going to have all you can eat crawfish, cold beer, tasty margaritas, live music, obviously, and a cornhole tournament. Uh, we're going to have big Jenga. We're going to have like trash can kind of like beer pong kind of thing going on. It's going to be a blast. You know, we haven't really done much in person, um, obviously with COVID and everything over the last couple of years. Um, so we wanted to get everybody together, do something fun for the community, come out and network. Um, at the time you're reading this, I would imagine that we probably have between three and 500 people registered. Uh, so it's going to be a really good time. So we uh, hope to see you guys there. Just go to the website, go to events, click block party, uh, register, and email you the tickets and everything. Uh, and we will see you guys there. What is going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Excited to be recording today. What's up, Colin? What's going on? We got interesting podcast here today. I came in super high energy and you were like, yeah, what's up? No, I'm just like, well, <laughs> I wasn't, like, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't expecting it. You usually don't throw it over to me What's like up, that, YouTubers? So. I know. I, feel, I was just kind of like, bad. I was reading something. I was actually reading Delphi's website here. Um, just reading a bit about it before it's a cool we website. introduction. So It's pretty slick looking. Why don't you get us rolling into this? Yeah, yeah. So we are sitting down with Melissa Suman. Melissa, I didn't even ask you what your role is over at, uh, at Delphi. At or, do you, or do you say it's at Delphi or do you say no. it's at I work Schlumberger? I work at Schlumberger. <laughs> okay, you work at Schlumberger, but at Delphi is the product. Delphi is one of our solutions, absolutely. Okay. One of the, oh, so you represent multiple solutions. I do. I manage uh, sort of five business lines for U.S. lands that covers everything from uh, what we call digital subsurface and digital operation solutions. So everything from exploration all the way through drilling and production digital solutions, um, all the way to integrated solutions around carbon capture and storage, uh, integrated well construction. So oh. you stay busy. I'm a busy girl. I didn't know Melissa was this big of a deal. Okay. <laughs> Let me sit up straight. All right. All right. So how, how long have you been at Slumberjay? Let's start there. 18 years. Okay. Dang. I was uh, 21 when I joined. There was a baby. You don't look old enough to be there for 18 years. Oh, I love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Just made my day. I was like, certainly we are the same age. I mean, could we be? No, I could be there for 18 years. No. Yeah. I would be, I would be I'm not going to admit you know. my age. So yeah, just, you don't have to talk keep about it. Trying, We're sitting Jacob needs to put that <laughs> no, uh, no, no, calculation no. meme over this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so really, I, where, where'd you start? First, before we get into your story, tell us what Delphi is. That way we have some context yeah, of what we're talking part. about today. No, it's fair. And so, I want to hear about your story at Slumberjay. So fair. So in 2017, we launched Delphi. So historically, Slumberjay has been in the business of sort of EMP software. And uh, it's been an on-prem solution, very traditional business. And, and we decided to, to transform ourselves before people pushed us to transform. So in uh, 2017, we launched Delphi. It's a open environment where you can pull in applications and data and workflows and, and you know, sort of break down the silos of what was traditionally the different domains, the petrophysics and the geoscientist and the reservoir engineer and work in one sort of collaborative environment. Yeah. So it's a cloud-based solution that... Um, yeah, it's been really fun. I was actually on the, was, we called it a startup at the time. Uh, it was a small group that was sort of ring fenced by ourselves. And I was part of that original team and I uh, really enjoyed it. Actually, it was fun sort of year of being sort of in Slumberger, but not really in Slumberger. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a, it was a fun experience. How would you, how would you like describe the Delphi platform in like a few words? 
Ah, ooh, you could get the marketing speak, which is the yeah. open and secure. Um, <laughs> but then I'm for, like, I still don't know what that means. No, it's so fair. like, what does it really so what mean? So what you do is you can log in from anywhere, which has been really great for the remote working mm-hmm, for the last mm-hmm. 12 months. Yep. So you can access these like giant compute you know, infrastructure of uh, the Googles and the Azures of the world yep. and just have a cheap little, you know, iPad on the front end. So you mm-hmm. can sit anywhere on a beach and log into your solutions, start looking at anything from seismic data to well log analysis, plan an entire asset all from like a pretty cheap hardware yeah. interface. You don't need a lot of computing power on the edge I don't need compute power, absolutely. Yep. And things like light computing where it was, you know, you use it really high for two weeks every six months. Now you're not paying for that. You don't have to buy the hardware. So you can just yeah. utilize the, the, the Google or Azure infrastructure. And really it's been great for the last 12 months because you can't sit near your hard, mm. you know, heavy desktops. You're at home working yep. remotely. So really it's just a way to to complete, you know, our traditional workflows in a more economical and efficient way. So is it pretty much, I mean, you listed off several different use cases, you know, whether it was, um, you know, say information from the reservoir to different workflows. I mean, can people put any different types of information from software in there? Is it like this, is it really flexible in terms of the environment of what you can do in there or does it have to all be kind of like raw data that people are pumping into it? No. So the way that the data ecosystem is set up, it's pretty flexible. Yeah. Um, we tried the originally, it was the dump method, right? So you just jump, dump all the data yeah. in and just <laughs> see what happens. Um, it didn't actually work, to be honest. It was uh, We found that each type of data for, for oil and gas is very specific, whether that's the frequency. Is it real time? Do you mm-hmm. need it all the time? Is it seismic? You only need it once every six months. So inside the data ecosystem is sort of subdivided storage solutions that are optimized for the different types of data. But yeah, you can put any data you really want into the ecosystem itself. Um, it was actually the base of this OSDU that was launched as an industry, this open subsurface data universe. Yeah. is this base ecosystem, this data ecosystem that was developed on the back end of Delphi. Oh, um, okay. So it's interesting. It was the new approach instead of having more structured, inflexible data storage options. Well, out of the clients that are that are currently using it, is mm-hmm. it is it predominantly, I know you keep, you keep mentioning subsurface, there's a lot of like subsurface data for geoscientists and geophysicists, or is it kind of an, a good split between them and, you know, traditional, you know, production engineer, operations engineers, guys, those kind of guys, or? So it's interesting. So the planning side, which spans everything from sort of the subsurface to the production to the, you know, the development side, all the way to what I call the more operations side, which is on the edge, kind of edge computing conversation. Mm-hmm. There's solutions that kind of span the gamut. Some of them develop by us. Some of them are third parties or partners that, that have put their solution on our, on our infrastructure. So it really covers, um, it's, kind of been fun to see the transformation inside Slumjay from doing it ourselves and only ourselves to really opening it up to other people playing in our space. Um, so you get everything from like Spotfire and Data IQ that are launched on Delphi to um, third-party applications that we have nothing to do with but are launched in, you know, in the same sort of tenants, if you will, as our Delphi. So it's been fun to see the change inside Slumberjay to realize that things are different and we have to play different at this point. Yeah, I had some questions around that, but first let's talk about how you started with Slumberjay because what sure. we can do is we can talk about how you started with Slumberjay, kind of how you worked your way up and then the transformation that you've seen within Slumberjay, you know, over the last two decades. Because when you that talk about you feel old when you say two decades, yeah. say, say 18, 18 years, that makes me feel yeah, 18 years. <laughs> I don't know if that's much better. Oh, come on. I'm the guest. But, you're supposed to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> we lost our brownie points. I said you points. look young. <laughs> yeah, we lost our brownie points. We're back to, we're from net zero. Fair. Um, but, you know, kind of talking about, you know, products that Slumberjay launched in 2017, like Delphine, kind of the transformation that OFS companies are seeing like, Hey, we want to become software providers as well. And not just, you know, your typical pressure pump or something like that. So let's talk about how you got started at Slumberjay and I want to dive into your career there a little bit. Sure. Well, it's a bit strange. So I actually was an um, aerospace engineer degree out of Auburn, War Eagle. Um, so I wasn't intending to go into oil and gas. Uh, my father's oil and gas. I grew up oil and gas. And so I was, very much a rebellious daughter and did not want to follow in my father's footsteps. I <laughs> uh, respect him, but didn't want to. Um, so when I worked through college as an aerospace engineer, I worked at the structures lab. So I was building um, like unmanned aerial vehicles and like guide fins for like air to ground missiles. And so I was working on all these projects for like the government. And um, 
I'm a very um, make love, not war personality. And so I started on this project around unmanned aerial vehicles that was intended for positive things. It was to to fly in the tunnels between the U.S. and Mexico to see if there were any bombs so that, you know, the, the drug tunnels. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited to be working on such a, you know, altruistic vision. <laughs> um, by the time I got to be a senior, we were um, asking to add, they were asking, the government was asking me to add, like, the ability to add on, like, grenade launchers to the side. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> I don't think anything in airspace is ever going to be foolproof with n- no fatalities. Like I just yeah. I couldn't get behind that. So, um, so I did the next thing I knew, which was oil and gas. Um, and, uh, I started with Schlumberger. I only applied for Schlumberger cause I really enjoyed their technology. I grew up listening about their technology when my dad was in the industry and, um, <clears throat> very logical. And so I thought, well, I'll just start with the uh, Western GECO and geophysics cause that's where the process starts. And so I want to learn it all. So I'm going to start with Western GECO. So I started as a data processor for land data with Western GECO. Did okay. not last long. Not my calling in life um, <laughs> at all. Was you realize that wasn't it. <laughs> that was not it. That was not, that was not my sweet spot. Um, I did get to do a like fast trip on a seismic vessel and I spent six weeks on a seismic vessel, which was probably one of my highlights still to this day of my 18 years. Yeah. Um, it was a blast. Why'd you I like mean, it so much? Now it's truth. Now to be honest here, um, I had a really great party party chief, and I was very efficient. So I got through all of my training modules in two weeks. Yeah. And so after two weeks, I was like, "What else can I learn?" And he was like, "Uh, I don't know. Pick a pick a department and just stay with it." And I'm like, "Okay." And I was like, "Well, that doesn't take up all my time. What do I need to do now?" And so I ended up spending two hours a day on the Gila deck, getting a suntan. Nice. Um, so <laughs> it was probably not what he meant by <laughs> to make up my mind on what I wanted to do, but it was a blast. And I had a great tan afterwards. So it yeah. was a really good experience for me. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of kind of high pressure situations, a lot of time spent out on like the little like uh, like mob boats, the small boats, you yeah. know, cleaning the streamers. And it was just really different than being in the office. And I, and I really enjoyed enjoyed that sort of opportunity to, yeah. to change scenery. For I me. actually just told someone on Twitter yesterday that every time I step foot on a deep water drill ship, like I'm always just amazed. Like every single time I go it's, out there, I'm just amazed by human engineering and ingenuity and just absolutely. how complex operations are out there. It's just like, I could see why that'd be your favorite job being yeah. out there because it's just fascinating. Well, we're just flying in the helicopter as you, you know, fly out to land for the first time and you see the spread of those seismic vessels. I mean, it's just miles of cables yeah. behind this boat, which is just crazy. I can't park a car. Yeah. So I can't even imagine the complexity of driving a boat with like miles of cables just behind it. Just attached to it. Yeah. I just, I would, I would, yeah, I would lose millions of dollars in like a second. I would, <laughs> Absolutely. I know my strengths. That's not one of them. So what do you... What did you move to after that? Because I'm sure, like, this is what's really cool about Slumberjay is that, one, a lot of people spend their entire career at Slumberjay or Halliburton or, you know, any other big OFS. And mm-hmm. you can see so many different things because you can move, you know, horizontally across departments. And Absolutely. you've already told us, you know, two two positions that you're at. So I think that that's a pretty cool opportunity. Yeah, I have a pretty short attention span, so Slumberjay works well for me. They move me often, and it's all different all the time. So I've done everything from um, seismic processing to um, we did inversion processing for a while. I did reservoir geomechanics for a while, which is a whole nother. Do you just say, hey, I'm ready to move on? Is it like you just get in a system and you're just like, I'm going to apply for another job internally, and they're like, cool, we'll move you? No, they don't, you don't apply internally. It's a... You know. I've never worked in corporate, so I have no clue. <laughs> Every corporation's different. So Slumberjay <laughs> does a really great job of like having the tools to be able to express what you want to do and what mm. you don't want to do. And and they don't always listen. It's not mm. like it's perfect, but uh, mm. they do a pretty good job. Uh, they've challenged me for the last 18 years. So like I went from seismic to reservoir geomechanics to doing marketing and technology for um, one of our product lines at, back in Houston. So I've moved, I don't know, a dozen times with Slumberjay. Um, and then I went from there to doing selling software in the Middle East. And as an American female selling software in Abu Dhabi, that was an adventure. I'm to sure you have some least. stories from that. Yeah. <laughs> it was an adventure. I, I did enjoy the shishas. Those were delicious. One, I imagine but, that selling software in the Middle East is just an uphill battle in the first place. And then you selling anything in the Middle no, East. No, it, it was like 
No, it was like selling. It was the easiest sales job really? ever. Really? Really? It's really counterintuitive. Why, why um, was it easy? So Middle Eastern in Abu Dhabi, this is not generic for yeah. everyone, every Middle yeah. Eastern location, but in Abu Dhabi, they're very respectful of women, like more of like a, um, like a, you don't have to wait in line. There's like a short line for the women and there's parking spots that are designated specifically for women. So you don't have to walk as far. Yeah. Like they're very more respectful of women. Yeah. So when you go into these large NOCs, they, they're programmed to to be kind to me, whereas they're not to my male counterparts. So I get like an extra 45 seconds to make a point <laughs> yeah. before they kick me out. And that was really all you need was like an extra 45 seconds to just to, yeah. to show he, that when you he, know what you're talking about. You could extend about. that two minute elevator yeah, push in three exactly. minutes. Exactly. Yeah. It made a big difference. I was able to, because I mean, it's not like I'm selling bad stuff. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I like Slumberjay because of the technology. Mm, yeah. So it just gave me that extra little window to like. Yeah. But look at this. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> so actually, it was my easiest sales job. Wow. Oddly enough, it was very easy. I enjoyed That's, it, too. So did you live fun. over in the Middle East during that time? I did. I had two kids, my husband and I. We oh, lived. Wow. Um, my husband worked in Jebel Ali, which is like sort of the other this side of Dubai. Yeah. And I worked in Abu Dhabi. And had Is he also kids. with someone there? Well, he was at the time. That's okay. also one of the funny yeah. stories. But yeah, so <laughs> I had a, a asking how I get new opportunities in summer. Mm. I had a... Um, an HR manager say, Hey, I've got this opportunity in Abu Dhabi. And it's like, Oh, actually, you know, we've only been here in Houston in two years. You just, my husband just started a new job six months ago. And it's just really not the right time for me to ask him to change jobs because we're dual career. And uh, a couple days later, my husband comes home and was like, I just had the funniest phone call. And I'm like, what was that about? And he's like, I think it was a job interview for Slumberjay. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> so then I come back to the office the next day and the HR manager was like, so I understand your husband has an opportunity in the same location. <laughs> I'm like, really? It's that important for you, yeah. me, to move. So yeah, That's so he so ended up funny. working for Slumberjay for a few years. Yeah, I'm jealous he had to spend time over in the Middle East because at my last job, I got it in 2014. And I was supposed to travel all over. We were doing a ton of work over in Saudi. And then obviously oil prices crashed and the dream of going overseas <laughs> just went with it. And Fizzles. so, yeah. So, you know, I got to stay in Gulf of Mexico and United States, but I never got the uh, Saudi or Middle Eastern experience. So it was very cool. I've traveled all over the world in the last yeah. 18 years. I've lived in England a couple of times, Abu Dhabi. It's just been Very fun. Very cool. Yeah, it's Where's a lot favorite? of fun. Where are you from originally? Oh, that's a good question. You're like good at questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> technically, I was born in Lafayette. Okay. Um, south of I-10, so technically that makes me a Kunas. Yeah, I was just um, uh, very, sounds like you don't claim it. I was very <laughs> curious. You have a very faint accent very. sometimes when you say things, and so I was trying to guess where you're from. Yeah, no, it makes I, sense. I, I am from, and but I I called Houston home. I graduated high school in Houston. I call Houston home, but my one of my favorite stories is about I was. I spent a lot of time in South Louisiana just working offshore and I was like, it's the only place in the United States where you have to sign a waiver at hotels saying that you won't boil seafood in your hotel room. <laughs> like South Louisiana is just it's amazing. Not, it's not part of the United States. No, it's, it's a not. different Spe world. Itself. Speaking of that, we've got the Wildcatters inaugural blog party, tons of crawfish. That's a good plug. Yeah. April 24th. You like yeah. that? I'll set, you up, set you up for that. Here we go. On. Richmond, like Texas. Crawfish? Oh, it's my favorite. Gonna gonna be there like my, sure. It's my final meal. If I had to choose, it's, okay, it's boiled well, crawfish every day. All right, Melissa's going to be there. Melissa's the winner so of a free ticket her. to the block party. So, <laughs> congratulations, Melissa. Thanks. I like crawfish. <laughs> so, no, super interesting that. Uh, so, did your husband take the job? He did take the job okay. because we thought it would be fun to travel. Yeah. Um, so, it was fine. He enjoyed the job. It was, you know, not his dream forever job, but it was great. Facilitated a couple moves. We yeah. got to do all sorts of fun stuff like camp camping in the empty corridor, you know, between like UAE and Saudi. We did, you know, swimming with dolphins in Oman. We did camping in the mountains in Oman. So things you can't do without kind of taking a jump and trying something. Yeah, so, absolutely. Super jealous yeah, of that. It was tons of fun. Yeah, I think that's like one of the big, I mean, I think there's, you know, pros and cons for working for different types of companies, but the pros of a company at Slumberjay is like the travel and being able to experience, you know, different things. Like even, you know, my experience of being in, you know, I've worked in almost every oil field in the United States and mm -hmm. just the experience that comes with being boots on the ground in those different environments goes a long ways. And I imagine, you know, if I was spending time in, you know, Western China or Russia or Middle mm -hmm. East, that would just extrapolate over to that. So it's really, you know, cool that you got to experience that and go to different parts of the world. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So 
you've given us kind of, you know, the early sure. part of your career. So then I was Th- there, There's a pretty big jump so far. <laughs> so I need, I'm like trying to put the pieces together yeah. of, you know, where you started, where you're at now. So I'm Fair sure enough. we're missing a bunch in the middle. Yeah. So it's funny. I, I was... I was pretty ambitious when I started and I was pretty like, okay, I'm ready to try like management. Like you keep putting me in these, all these odd roles <laughs> that I'm fine. I'll do them, but I want to, I want to manage something. I want to do something. Right. And, uh, so after my sales in Saudi and Saudi in the uh, UAE, um, they asked me to manage Western GECO acquisition vessels, like the operations manager for seismic vessels. And, Besides my six-week stint, of which part of it was, you know, in a bathing suit, I really <laughs> had no experience in managing seismic vessels. Um, I'm guessing so, you didn't get to tan in this new position. No. no I no would probably either. be frowned upon, actually. Um, as a manager, that probably would not have been okay. I should probably wasn't okay as a trainee either. But, you got a little bit more slack back then. Yeah, a little bit more slack. Uh, so, no. So, I jumped in with two feet. And my, again, one of my favorite jobs because it was a mix between, like, client-facing and tech technical and, you know, really weird marine laws that you never heard of and trying logistics, trying to get things in and out of certain countries. And you were, you know, I need to get this vessel this month. I'm working in East, you know, Africa next month I'm in Singapore and the next month my boat's in. And it was just really fantastic. And the people you met and the, I mean, just the people in the, the acquisition industry are just fantastic. I mean, the captains that I got to work with were just some of my favorite pints of beer were over yeah. like hearing their stories of the things that they'd done and seen and heard. And, oh man, it was amazing. I yeah. Had a I'm great sure it's time. just like before we started recording the podcast, Jake was telling us about a pirate series. Yeah. And so I'm sure it's like I much like stories. the new age pirates of talking to these guys. Unless it's like so I have like, a particular set of skills. <laughs> <if I'm laughs> never exactly. I will say that my very <laughs> first day on the job, um, doing this, you know, ops management, right. And the manager at the time was the party, party chief that I had on my six week training mission right okay. so like that's how I ended up in this role because he knew me yeah. and he liked me and knew I was good at what I you know what I, what I did and uh so it was weird anyway to see him out of the boat and you know years later and uh we're in this original meeting and he's kind of like a kind of joking guy and so he was like all right Melissa next Monday is your is your is your desktop pirate exercise and I'm like oh ha, ha, ha. he's like no I'm serious and I'm like what do you mean you're serious? And he's like, yeah, we have like a, an exercise where you have to go through the protocol as if there was a pirate attack. And I'm like, you're just joking with me, right? Like this is, <laughs> this is like now, like 20. What was the protocol? Well, you had to, it was like a, like a literal list and there was like super secret, like where in the boat you go to like, like there's like panic rooms and like, yeah. it was like a real thing. And I was like, I am not cut out for this job. Let's do you guys, clear. okay. We so started, pi- that's why I started training MMA was cause they were going to send me to West Africa. And, um, I was like, you know what? You got to protect yourself. Yeah. I want to learn how to fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know these guys got guns, but at least I could give myself. <laughs> it was interesting because, though. Like when I learned how to get in a lifeboat and like did all the training, like we got out of the lifeboat and they're like, surprise, it's pirates. And I was like, oh shit, you do have to think about you that. You do. Right? <laughs> it is crazy. Do they have like armed guards or any guns or anything on the, on the boat? There are certain paths that you take. So if you're going, if you're going from point X to point Y, there mm-hmm. is something, you know, there's a, there's a region of the ocean that is high risk. And if you cross that region, then you have to have certain protocols in place. And one of those is armed guards on the boats and some other sort of, mm-hmm. um, secure measures that mm-hmm. are, um, not public information, but yeah, yeah. So there is like a really in-depth process to keep our crew safe, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it was just one of those moments in my life where I was like, what did I get myself into? Like, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was an adventure to say the least. Um, but it was my favorite job by far to date, even in this one, no offense to this job, but <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Sorry, right, Like my favorite job was as a motorman on a drilling rig. Cause I had almost no responsibility. I just power washed my rig all day. I was like, those are really Sweet kick-ass job. And you're paying me to do this. Yeah. All right. You pay me Sign 100 me grand up. to clean yep. this rig. I have no responsibility. Done. You can't beat that. <laughs> it was fun. So anyway, so, so that was my first management gig. And it was okay. like 150 people because, you know, the crews rotate. So it's like a 75-person crew every six weeks rotate. So it's like 150 people in your organization. Yeah. Like, so from zero to 150 was a giant push. Yeah, for um, sure. As far as my skill set was concerned. Well, what um, do you think about that? Like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people deal with like imposter syndrome and things of that <laughs> nature. Yes. And 
I always tell people, I'm does. like, when I got my job as a project manager from Venture, I hope my boss hears this, my old boss hears this. <laughs> when I got my job as a project manager, I had no business having that. It was an imposter syndrome. Like I had no business. They wanted someone that had a petroleum engineering degree and 10 years of field experience. I had no degree in four years experience. <laughs> That's close. And, but they Ballpark. liked me. They're like, oh, if he's got potential and I go out there and I had no clue what I was doing. And, but I grew so quickly from that mm -hmm. because I, I took off a lot more than I could chew and I grew, grew into that. Was that kind of the same thing for you in that management role, like going from nothing to all of a sudden? It's like sink or swim, right? Yeah. And there's some people do great in that and some people do not do well in that yeah. situation. For me, I, I like the challenge. I enjoy the challenge. Um, and for me, it's about knowing being able to authentically know what you know and what you don't know. And so I think the biggest mistake people make when they take new jobs and they know that there are certain elements that are out of their comfort zone is they pretend to know things that they they don't know. Yeah. So for me, it's 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 showing the respect to the people on my team that are, you know, reporting into me that know more about whatever that topic happens to be and relying on them and building that relationship. Mm -hmm. So so I'm a very good judge of people. Um, I'm very good at communicating. And so as long as I... I judge people quickly and I say, okay, this person is competent or isn't competent. So I know how much I can trust the people on my team. Yeah. And I clearly give them credit and visibility because it's not me that does these things. Right. So yeah. for me in that job, it was great because it was about people management. It was making sure that it was a simple thing, like, you know, making sure that they had the food delivered at the right time and making sure that everybody was safe and the leaders were leading by example. And, and so making some hard decisions on people, you know, when they were the wrong managers in the wrong role, and and it wasn't that much of a stretch in the sense that I I to this day could not acquire seismic data I can't drive a seismic vessel I can't <laughs> like these aren't skill sets I acquired right yeah. um, so it's <clears throat> as far as management is concerned management is its own skill set so yeah it's transferable no matter where you're what you're managing right yeah. This episode is brought to you by Datagration. When developing a sound asset optimization program, engineers must study past completion and development practices to understand the impact on well performance. The key component of this process is to efficiently use key data, which must be acquired, integrated, checked for quality, analyzed, and routinely updated. It's it's complete pain in the ass. Once data is in, Petrovisor environment is available for advanced analysis to use for physics-based models, constrained Voronoi polygons, I totally probably butchered that, uh, multivariate regressions, and machine learning algorithms. Um, the automated nature of the Petrovisor uh, platform allows users to analyze an entire play or easily evaluate specific areas or individual wells and determine how past completion practices, geological variances, and well location in the field actually affect production. I think that's really cool. For example, a dashboard can be created geographically to show where the best drilling opportunities uh, exist within search parameters such as nearby well quality, uh, you know, raw quality and completion technology and drilling inventory. So really the number of uh, drilling locations. Datagration has actually put together a white paper called Improving Unconventional Asset Evaluation by Automating Data Analytics. Uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes below. Um, so just go ahead and click that. Once again, thanks to Datagration. These guys are awesome. We really believe in the product and we love what they're doing for the industry. Like I said, I mean, data management is single-handedly, I believe to be one of the, the biggest problems facing our industry. And if we can get that right, it's a solid foundation that we can build a lot of really cool things on top of. So without further ado, let's get right back into the episode. Yeah, when I first got in the oil business, I mean, started roughnecking on drilling rigs and I was like, I want to learn the entire business from the ground up. Actually, kind of similar to you. Yep. Like, I want to start at ground, point zero and learn zero. everything. And then it took me several years in. I was like, I'm never going to learn everything in the no, oil business. No. You just surround yourself by a bunch of smart people, you know, have good judgment of who you're surrounding yourself with. And then you listen to them. And Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, definitely critical. So um, it's also, you know, I think it's good. I think a lot of people are afraid to take positions that they don't feel qualified for. Especially like I hate when people are looking at, you know, a job posting like, oh, well, they want this and I don't have that. And just like they shouldn't yeah. hold you back. Like you should you should grow and take you should always something. be applying for jobs you're not qualified for, in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. Always. But also to also your point, like some people don't do well with that. So maybe my yeah. advice isn't good to them. <laughs> <laughs> some people fail spectacularly, uh, but usually it's not because they're not qualified for the job, it's usually for me soft skills related when people fail dramatically, right? Like yeah. they just don't have the soft skills required to take that job. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, soft me, skills are so important. Yeah. I mean, that sort of emotional intelligence to be able to 
to honestly look in the mirror and say, hey, I know this or, hey, I really don't know this. And yeah, that's, that's OK. I'll learn it or I'll find someone that knows it or I'll I'll read about it or I'll do something to, you know, fill that gap. And I yeah. think a lot of people choose the choose the route of, you know, faking it until they make it. And I think that's just a disaster waiting to happen. There's like, like <laughs> there are some EMPs. I mean, they love me running their tools. And the reason was because if they asked me something, I didn't know, I'd tell them, I was like, Hey, I don't know, but yep. let me, let me find out. Like I've never sit there. Like you can tell on location when mm -hmm. someone's bullshit. Oh yeah. And I just never understood that. Like I don't have enough pride to be like, no, no to do that. I'll just no. tell you, I don't know and figure it out and worked <laughs> out well for way. me. So, so far so good for me. So yeah. <laughs> I'll stick with my policies. So, so that was your first management role. Wise. And then what happened after that? And in true slammer day fashion, I moved from managing physical seismic vessels to getting a, an offer letter to say, can you move back to Houston and manage the cloud? And I go, what the what? <laughs> I don't even know what you're asking me. What year was this? This was, Shoot, it was after my third child. So it must have been 2015 or 2016. Okay. Yeah. So cloud was still pretty yeah, novel I, concept. I, like, I didn't know yeah. what it was. And yeah. so my fellow marine ops managers were crying, laughing because they're like, wow, that's a demotion. You're managing a boat. Now you've got a cloud. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's fair. I couldn't even tell you what this is asking yeah. me to manage at this point. Um, so there was many of uh, books bought and late nights reading textbooks and. <laughs> On what? Because the first meeting I had with these super smart people who I still adore to this day, who know everything about cybersecurity and software as a service and infrastructure as a service and all these words that I'm like writing on my notepad and like look up later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what any of this. I've means. literally had so we use Notion here to run Wildcatters mm -hmm. off of, and I keep all my personal notes in there, and mm -hmm. I have an entire page that is stuff I need to learn about <laughs> later. And anytime I come across something that I don't know what it is, I drop it in there and I go I back and read on it. I have the same to this day. <laughs> I still, still things to learn. Yeah. Um, so I, so that's when we started, this was Delphi before Delphi had a name. So I moved into this cloud operations. And so there was like three of us that, you know, wrangled this, this concept of what does it look like to move from an on-premise software to a cloud-based solution. And um, it was the, one of my favorite years. The people were great. Um, uh, still two of my best friends uh, to this day. And the three of us were, you know, <laughs> just just fighting behind, like fighting fires behind the scenes. Like, what does yeah. this even look like? And what is it? And we're all trying to lead up to the forum in Paris. Cause that was when we were, that was the date. Like that was set in stone. Like no, no yeah. fans or buzz. <laughs> it's coming out on, you know, September, 2017 at the forum. It's, it's going to happen. And uh, so it was a lot of learning behind the scenes around what does it mean to operate software on a cloud and support customers that way. And what is the, so I was more on the like delivery business side and the other two were more or on the sort of development side and how do we build it and what does it look like and what's the architecture and the how do we make it secure? It. Yeah. So yeah. I was doing more the operation side of it. Yeah. So it's something at least I'm familiar with how to operate things. Yeah. Um, I didn't have to design a data architecture because I would fail dramatically <laughs> on that. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun and a lot of learning and I became a very quick um, study on things like cybersecurity and we had cybersecurity drills. I learned, again, there are other drills, not just pirate <laughs> drills, um, but it was interesting. Again, it was a lot of it was a lot of challenges, a lot of reading. <laughs> My team um, gave me as a joke for Christmas, I think, a book that said Cloud for Dummies. I still have it on my office shelf because sometimes you just have to laugh at yourself when you really just don't know what you're talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> but, uh, but I, yeah, it was I great. think it's interesting how Slumberjay, you know, we've had um, Chad Harkness from Oilfield Marketplace on the show before. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is actually the second, you know, um, product conversation from Slumberjay that we've had on the podcast. But it's interesting how they operate almost like a startup within a big organization. Like you said, you know, it was you and two others. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sure, you know, you had either resources from Slumberjay or using contractors or something to actually develop the product. But it's a pretty interesting, I would think, to think from your point of view to go from kind of big corporate operations with a large budget and really a kind of a set operation, like, you know, how to run seismic vessels mm -hmm. and things of that nature to all of a sudden, you're like, Hey, stand up a product in a business unit that is completely new to Slumberjay and to the industry. 
like there's a lot of learning there, not just from the technical perspective of like, what's the cloud, but there's a lot of learning there from, you know, what does it take to build a product from scratch? Yeah, absolutely. A business unit from scratch. And like, we have a ton of founders on the show that do that. We've done that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just, like, it's a lot. Like I want to go into a big corporation and know how to run, you know, 150 person team on seismic vessels. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't expect someone to come in and easily like learn you know, like you've talked about putting out the fires, like things like this are always a shit show behind the scenes, mm-hmm. right? Like there's always a ton going <laughs> on. So always. like, you know, learning how to deal with those types of things. Um, what kind of challenges did you have making that transition and how much of a culture shift was it for you? <laughs> it was a giant culture shift. And it's funny because I've only been Slumberger. I'll be very, you know, open about that. I'm yeah. 18 years, yeah. big blue all the way. Right. Yeah. Um, and even in a startup in Schlumberger, it's not the same as the startup outside of Schlumberger, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I, can't, I can't even pretend to know what that's like, yeah. right? Like, I didn't worry where my paycheck was coming from next Come month. Come hang out with us for a week. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> not, not the concerns I had, right? Um, so pros and cons, right? So I, there's some stability. Take our advice. Yeah. Like, you don't want to have to worry about where your paycheck yes. comes from. Yes. So I will say from that side, I'll never really fully appreciate what it feels like to be in a true startup. Um, but the other side of the coin is that a startup in a large corporation is never truly free either. Yeah. Like you you, you have still the large stakeholder management problems that you have with any large corporation. So getting the breathing room to develop a solution in a startup mentality in a large corporation is a real challenge in and of itself. There's a lot of um, resistance there that you have there to go is. against. There's, yeah. there is even, and there's a lot of difference of opinions and it was a big big risky decision for us. I mean, our software business was very profitable. It was very successful. We had, you know, number one in every market share statistic, I think short, short of drilling. I think we were, you know, it wasn't like we were coming from a point of, you know, well, we're trying to compete. We were already competing and competing. Well, Uh, it was a point of pretty brave decision to say, Hey, things are going to change and we want to be the ones to change it versus wait for the world to change. And then us to catch up behind them. Right. Um, So while that concept was accepted, it was still, Everyone was very nervous, obviously. Who was really driving like the genesis of, of Delphi? I mean, to put together this little task force team. Sure. So they, this was the mm. original, what we call SIS, which was the, you know, the software product line inside of Schlumberger. Mm. Um, that management team at the time was filled with a couple really strong visionaries. And they were really impressive on on driving that and convincing the right levels in Schlumberger to say, hey, this is the way that we need to go. And actually... Um, Slumberger historically is a field organization. It's all about the field, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're, we've come to a new place in Slumberger where now most of our, a lot of our senior managers are actually have, have spent a significant time in the software division as a president. So, you know, the CEO was president of the software division at one point in his career. The, you know, the, the head HR person was president of, you know, SIS at one point in his career. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's, so it's that was a, kind of like the meat and the transformation that I was yeah. talking about earlier is like, you know, you look at Slumberger historically as a company, start off as very, you know. Wireline. Yeah, started wireline. And then, you know, think pressure pumping and downhole tools, bits, mm-hmm. things of that nature, just very commoditized field products. But then you start seeing this transformation into more of a software-based product offering. And you're starting to see it where senior leadership is coming from a background in the software division. And so has that happened? I mean, in the last couple of years, I mean, you, you guys launched this in 2017. So I'm imagining, you know, last six or seven years is when the transformations like really started happening. Yeah. I think that across the business lines or the product lines in Slumberger, we, we know that we need to, to pivot and become more digitally connected, right? Um, everything from the field, you know, the technology in the field, we, you know, how do we connect that to be an intelligent technology? How do we make those pumps and those compressors intelligent things that can, you know, learn from automation and, and reduce risk, reduce costs and deliver things more efficiently all the way to, you know, the office-based personnel and planning and developing fields. And so it, it's interesting because um, the way we reorbit a huge reworked last year in Slumberger. It was, it was mm-hmm. from the top down, like everyone got, you know, new jobs kind of reorg, right? Mm-hmm. And three of the divisions are, are are based on like the workflow the client has, right? The production, the drilling. Um, 
And then there's a fourth division called Digital and Integration, and that's the one that I, I manage for U.S. land. And that one covers like the entire gamut because we recognize that there is a focus required to get the right technology into the field, whether that's to reduce carbon footprint or make people more effective or efficient at fracks or to get, you know, a better production rate out of your field. Um, I mean, specifically in U.S. land, our customers are, are challenged daily to do more with less people, to mm -hmm. get more out of their current assets because there's no appetite for exploration right now. Um, so it's been fun to be in that division that really drives that change, not just for my division, but across the other divisions. It's like yeah. bringing those digital technologies um, across all fronts, right? And so yeah. it's been a real, real shift in, I would say, in the way that Schlumberger has been approaching it um, yeah. to really push that efficiency mm -hmm. in digital technology. Um, and I will say, actually, a lot of negatives for the last 12 months with COVID, but the digital transformation has just accelerated because of the, the force to be working remotely. And so these these it's market drivers, I know. I mean, <clears throat> come talk on. about digital transformation for 20 years. I've been preaching it for <laughs> two decades, apparently. <laughs> so I've been preaching it for some time. So I'm happy to see, like, especially U.S. land. I mean, as I said, I grew up in U.S. land, oil and gas and, you know, the good old days of, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, oh, that's for a, it's for a drink at a later time yeah, to talk about sure. my stories of growing up in oil and gas. But, <laughs> we but all I, do. <laughs> just, but uh, yeah, it's been really fun to see the last 12 months, the appetite shift and the focus yeah. shift and the, it's, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. I think, you know, everything that happened over the last year was a catalyst for change, not just in oil and gas, but across every industry, right? But I think one thing that, you know, we had this video or we did it in a conference evolve and it was based off of, so I made this video walking around on my iPhone back in like 2017 or mm -hmm. 18 and it was a three minute video and I'm going on a rant about how oil and gas companies had to evolve or they'd die and it went super viral and people were like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> I was always preaching that, but I think what you saw over the last year, a lot of people in this industry realized, like, hey, we have to approach this business in a different way. And how are we going to do that? We have to adopt technology and think about things differently. And you have to, or Agreed. else it doesn't work and you can't make it work. And so I think it's a blessing in disguise. I mean, no, there's been a lot of pain across the industry and a lot of turmoil, but for the industry to continue to grow and thrive in the future, it's almost like you had to have a wake up call, had to have that mm -hmm. come to Jesus meeting and say, Hey, oh, look. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, um, you know, you look at Slumberjay, it's really, I think that the OFS companies are best positioned to push digital initiatives because you're already out there, mm -hmm. you know, think about how much data is involved in wireline or pressure pumping or, you know, downhole tools, whatever it may be. And being able to start connecting all of those in a central point like <clears throat> it makes perfect sense for <coughs> Slumberjay to be the one mm -hmm. to do that. So, and, and is that primarily where, where Delphi comes in? I'm still trying to get to the nuts and bolts of Fair. what are we talking about here? Okay. <laughs> so is it mostly like pulling in, if they're using you guys for other services, like Colin said, being able to pull that data into a central kind of repository are we talking about Slumberjay specific applications? Are we talking about third party applications? I know you mentioned Spotfire, probably Power BI, things like that. Those are really standard, very generic data visualization, sure. right? A lot of people are using that. But in terms of like, let's just say any number of the startups that we have on on the show, we have cloud-based solutions. Is that something that gets integrated into Delphi or is it I guess it is like Slumberjay specific stuff or somebody specific data. No, it's a fair question. So it, it, it's the classical depends answer, right? So um, generally speaking, you can we can integrate any cloud-based solution with our Delphi-based solution without getting into the nuts and bolts of it. It can either be a more uh, complete integration where it sits on the same tenant as our petrotechnical suite, which is our, our mm -hmm. Delphi uh, um, sort of um, new technology solution. Um, or it can be next door and have like a telephone line connection, right? So there's different <laughs> ways you can connect. Mm -hmm. um, but we've definitely put um, third-party software directly into the Delphi environments. Um, we have a few that we do regularly, meaning we have like a call-off list, if you will, that we can do these standard. And then we have services that can be provided if you want to do one that's not on that list. Mm -hmm. So it's meant to be where you – it's your work environment. It's where you live and breathe and, you know, monitor your assets, um, 
all of your people are there, meaning everything from all the way from exploration to production can all play in the same platform. So you should have a shared vision of your asset and the development of that asset. So it does allow you to easily kind of tap into these various data silos or, or databases and being able to kind of manipulate that information with like with, with various data visualization or is it more so the fact that it's, hey, it's all in the cloud and now it's a collaborative platform for people to I imagine there's maybe some kind of communication through that. Yeah, there are. Similar to like Slack or something. <coughs> Excuse me. So yeah, it's similar to, to both of those concepts, meaning you can be in the environment and work collaboratively on the same, you know, patrol project or the same asset, or you can um, share information in a way that's much more uh, you know which is the right data versus the wrong data and it's mm -hmm. no longer in a silo or in someone's drawer or on someone's you know disconnected laptop and they've done something over here and you don't actually have that data yet because they haven't published it to the corporate directory so it's a lot more of a live updating ecosystem where you can more easily collaborate mm -hmm. um, there's still some connections I would say there's still room room for improvement on the making that a true open collaboration, but it's a lot, lot further than it was from an on-prem solution where you're completely disconnected. Right. So mm -hmm. it's, for me, it's a, it's, it's a huge step forward with, you know, me, I can find things I would improve upon, but I think that's yeah. my personality. So <laughs> there's always, things, right, so you're the always right? things I can do better. So here's, here's the hot seat question. Um, for the companies that have already kind of moved off of on-prem solutions for mm -hmm. the most part, right? At this point, at the rate that technology is growing, on-prem is extremely <laughs> antiquated. So for those companies, they're, they're definitely the people who have been lagging behind. For those who have kind of built most of their architecture in the cloud, what would you say is the, the value proposition for those? Mm, I don't think I understand the question, sorry. Is it is it just the central repository point to being able to bring all the data from various cloud solutions to yeah, so they can connect all of them. It doesn't matter whether it was developed from on-prem or in the cloud, okay. they can still be the connecting piece for all of them. Are you talking from a third-party vendor point of view or from a client point of view? Both. Okay. So for me, um, there's a lot of, forget the amount of investment, um, people time that went into building this sort of intricate data ecosystem. Aliens. It's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's embarrassingly large numbers. Um, but the <coughs> amount of effort that's gone into designing this sort of base ecosystem to work specifically for our industry, specifically for our type of data, is ridiculous amounts of investment. So yeah. it was a big deal when we donated it sort of as a free open ecosystem for this OSDU um, because we just gave away a substantial amount of investment to the industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what is the, we said it was OS? O OSDU. What is Open that? Subsurface Data Universe. Yeah, that's where okay. it was open source for the seismic data, right? Is for everything. So it's for the, everything. yeah, so it's the, so as an industry, our biggest challenge is our data. It always has been. We're terrible mm -hmm. custodians of data. It's yeah. a generic statement. I've never met mm -hmm. a, a service provider or a yeah, <laughs> operator that is great <laughs> at managing data. Um, and so we have decades and decades of really bad data management to, to, mm -hmm. to get over, to even to begin to utilize some of the cool digital technology. To get back to point zero. Yeah, yeah. well, just so we can yeah. use things that are like yeah. machine learning algorithms and data analytics. I mean, our data. Oh, yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. You got to yeah. have better data, <laughs> and right? I think OSDU is like kind of like the new standard to kind of yes. mostly replace like the old PPDM standard yes, back in the exactly. day, right? exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. So what we're trying to do as an industry, which is great to see this level of collaboration across, I mean, it's got cloud providers, it's got operators, it's got service providers. It's like a big group of people mm -hmm. coming together to say, hey, what does the new data structure look like that we can standardize on to make it more easy for us to adopt these digital technologies to in yeah. turn become more efficient in our operations and That's delivery, awesome. right? Um, so that data ecosystem, you could go out and build it yourself, but it's going to take you the same amount of time as it took Sombrager to build it. It's going to mm -hmm. take you time. And so instead of everyone doing their own individual thing, which is what it's done historically with on-prem, every operator and service provider have their own data storage standards and processes and and plans this is saying this is a standard we can adopt as an industry therefore we can all work together more collaboratively as a data owners right and so what i see as being like the next step to that is starting to say okay well this data really isn't as proprietary as i think it is so if i contribute this data in a larger platform then everyone can benefit from better machine learning algorithms better technology, better data analytics, better, you know, better understanding of the subsurface where we can be better custodians of the earth that we're, we only get one shot at. Um, so I think that, for me, it's one been, step. So like it's all boats rise of the tide, right? And mm -hmm. that's, 
the message that I've been trying to preach over the last few years is like, guys, stop worrying so much about what's proprietary and what's not. It helps everyone if yep. you have these open source platforms and mindsets to where you can collect and harvest information and it helps everyone. So that's, that, I didn't know you guys. That's huge. That. That's like, cool. Yeah. That for, for, for Slumber's Day to be able to say, Hey, yeah, we're like donate this to the OSTU. Mm -hmm. And then also to, to be able to say, Oh, this is not really as proprietary as we thought. Let's just kind of contribute this. Yeah, absolutely. That's massive. Um, and if some of y'all's peers kind of jump on in the same way, like who knows what kind of insights we can pull from that data at scale. No, agreed. And I'm, I'm kind <clears> of excited <throat> to see where the next step takes us. Um, as U.S. land, we're not we're not ready to like throw data into a pot and share. We're not we're, we're not there yet. Yeah. Um, other geographies that are more NOC controlled can can jump right in because they, mm -hmm. they all they control all the data anyway. Yeah. Um, I will say I was sitting in a meeting once with a CTO of a super major and we were going over um, just sort of data cybersecurity. It was, you know, kind of in my role as this cloud operations manager. And yes, we're good at, you know, security kind of conversations. And they were saying that they had spent like a ridiculous amount of time and effort to clean up all of their data and put it into the single repository and run these machine learning algorithms on their data. And they didn't have enough data to come to a real machine learning solution. Like, yeah. so if they don't have it, I mean, as an industry, no one person has this data. So yeah, we need to 100%. start looking at a more collaborative approach to developing these basins specifically in U.S. land, right? Yep. And uh, for me, this, this ecosystem is just a way to start there, right? If we can all communicate in the same language, then we can really start to get value from each other, right? 100%. I love it. So if someone's listening to this and they want to learn about Delphi, is there a specific URL domain to it or do they just go to Slumberjay's website and find Delphi on there? Yeah. So there is a, a what I call North America Slumberjay page that's specifically okay. for our U.S. land customers. Okay. Um, so you can get there by searching Slumberjay North America. Okay. Um, you'll get there. Um, there's also a commerce site. So one of the cool things that comes with this software as a service is you can self-service the software yourself, right? So yeah. you can go out and log in. You can see what we have to offer, put it in your cart, scan your credit card, walk away, and you have the technology without ever having to talk to anybody. Cool. Um, so there are some... That's actually pretty cool because not many people Joyce. Like, <laughs> offer that. No, it's one of the things I think for our markets is is required. I mean, my market is so complex in U.S. land. I have the super majors all the way to, you know, to the mm -hmm. one and two well operators. And, yeah. and I have to be able to communicate it at so many, like scale at so many different levels. So I have to be able to provide Delphi for the for the chevrons of the world and for the one in two person, you know, that has one petrotechnical expert and yeah. <laughs> needs it to do, you know, so we do everything from, there's a call. lot in between. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, we introduced um, some flex models where you can do Delphi by the day. Um, you can do Delphi by the month. You can do Delphi by the year. You can subscribe to it online. You can like, it's, it's very flexible in that sort of scalable way for specifically for us land. Cause one very unique geography that requires that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Okay. So guys check out Slumber J's website. Um, go check out Delphi. It sounds really cool. Melissa's great. You can find Melissa on LinkedIn. We'll have uh, show notes with her LinkedIn profile on there. So Melissa, thanks for coming by mm, and schooling us me. on this. This is great. Thanks for, I'm looking forward to the crawfish. So yeah. I'm I know you got you your free that. ticket. So yeah. you're come, in business. Come meet Melissa in person. Talk yeah, Delphi at the, uh, the block party, April 24th. Down in Richmond, Texas, we're actually blocking off a whole street. We got the Richmond police working it. We're gonna have Lindsay L, Canadian country music singer, coming to play. Uh, thanks to old Uncle Chuck for making that happen and for donating his house um, for the block party. So it's we're gonna have about it is about three million Generous pounds of, of of crawfish, beer, margaritas. <laughs> Uh, and a cornhole tournament with a heavyweight championship belt. And let me tell you, me and Scott Gale are coming for it. <laughs> so we'll see. Bring, bring your A game. Come hungry. We'll see you guys then. If you enjoyed the episode, take two seconds. Um, uh, I want to say like and subscribe, but I've been doing too many YouTube videos lately. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just check out the channel. Send it to your friends. Hit up Melissa on LinkedIn. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Come, 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 come.